0: Hello and welcome to the Mental Health Shelf podcast. My name is Jamie Skinner and in this podcast I invite a guest to bring five items or symbols which they believe have brought them joy, escape or have generally contributed to good mental health in their lives so far. These items then get put on their own mental health shelf which is something to look to when the world is getting a bit stressful, a bit much and they just need some escape, some uplift in that particular moment in time. It's Just a metaphor, really, to just bring everything together, like most podcast concepts, it seems. Anyway, these items can be absolutely anything the guest wants. Bookends, dog collar, takeaway menu, waffle iron. These items every single time I just randomly throw them out as examples of what could bring be brought up in the podcast. They suggest something tonally different, just completely different, to what the podcast usually ends up turning out to be. But you never know until the conversation is recorded, particularly me, you know, I, I, I don't know, I only make the thing. Uh, but anyway, um, particularly that's the case when you don't really know who you're talking to, which is the case this month, as I welcome Meg Abernethy-Hope, one of the co-founders of charity Billy Chip, to the podcast. I'm really looking forward to this conversation um i've spoken to meg very very briefly once over the phone arranging this conversation and it, it kind of ended as i say the conversation was very brief i'd explain what the podcast was we'd arranged a time and date to record and at the end i said something along the lines of do you have any questions is there anything you want to know in particular and meg's response was pretty much no we'll just see how it goes we'll go with the flow it'll be what it'll be And I am fascinated to see how this podcast turns out, how this conversation unravels based purely on that. I'm really looking forward to Meg. Uh, I'm sure we'll dive into Billy Chip and what that does in terms of providing hot drinks and food to the homeless. Um, There are a couple of awards, very very different awards, which I'm sure you'll hear in a second or two when I get to the main big intro, aside from whatever this waffle is, uh, that I'm sure we'll talk about as well. But for now, I'm just going to get into it because, as I say... I'm fascinated to see what happens here. Here is the Mental Health Shelf of Meg Abernethy Hope. Welcoming on to this month's edition of the Mental Health Shelf podcast, a fashion model appearing in various advertising campaigns, both as a model and presenter, winner of Miss Bristol 2015 and a 2021 Diana Award, and co-founder of growing charity, Billy Chip. Welcome, Meg (laughs) Abernethy Hope.
1: Why, that was an introduction... A slightly overwhelming <laughs> one when people reel off your sort of accolades and the things that you're good at back to you is really quite humbling. So thank you. There's there's a kind of,
0: I'd say a big jump, particularly from Miss Bristol to 2015 to winning a Diana Award in 2021. Yeah,
1: it's, it's been a mad lifetime. <laughs> it's probably the best way to put it, Um the 2015 Miss Bristol thing. Let's start with that. That was a joke. I thought it would be really funny to enter a beauty pageant whilst I was in the Bri, receiving uh, treatment for a really rare blood disorder that only about three and a hundred thousand teenagers get. It's called ITP. I was diagnosed with it back in 2014. And they told me when I first had gone in with my symptoms that I might possibly have leukaemia or hepatitis, which, yeah, was a real blow. My parents were down in Cornwall. I was on my own in hospital. And coming out of that, having had kind of steroid treatment and then a type of chemo drug and all sorts, having my spleen removed, I went in to enter a beauty pageant because I... Didn't see myself when I looked in the mirror. And I wanted other people to know that standing on a stage and being judged in the typical kind of pageant-esque world, which is a really shitty place <laughs> in my opinion, <laughs> and I hate that actually what you feel on the inside doesn't reflect who you are on the inside. And on the outside, I had water retention in my face. I looked like I'd put on about four stone to what I was used to seeing in the reflection in the mirror. And I wanted to be able to give myself a platform to tell other people that were also struggling with clinical depression that this isn't you and this won't last and you won't be defined by this. And I think that was a huge thing that getting that title, I never wanted to be defined by the beauty pageant industry standards. And so I did everything in my power not to do that. I raised money for my own charity. I had my friend come and do my makeup rather than letting the sort of organisation do it. I ended up doing my own hair and I walked into Miss England in a pair of trainers in a T-shirt with girls asking me, who's your hair sponsored by? And turning around and saying, well, I grew it myself, so I suppose it's mine. And, yeah, it was a really weird time in my life and then jumped to 2021 and winning this Diana Award, which, again, didn't feel like it was mine to have through losing my brother in 2018 and starting the Billy Chip and the charity and everything else. The recognition was great, it was incredible, but I have always felt like I've just made the best out of a shitty situation and done what I could and to be recognised for that was amazing, but it also made me feel like, gosh, there's a lot of other people that do this and that have won this award for a variety of different reasons and sort of why me and I think that will always be part of my ethos is instead of going back to why me it's why me because of what can I make out of this and how can I change the world from it.
0: Particularly with the Diana Award did you work out why you?
1: No. No. (laughs) <laughs> no. No, I haven't, but it's one of those. I've just finished listening to Matthew McConaughey's book Green Lights. Mm. And it's an incredible book and anybody who listens to this podcast, please go and listen to it because it's great about putting things into perspective. And I will use his book to kind of ex- explain the Diana award and the why me. It it was a green light, but at the time felt like a red light or an amber light because I think probably my expectations were too high. I got it during COVID. Um, was hoping to go up to London and wear a fancy dress and go and walk around the palace and, you know, kind of do all of this amazing jewel dropping once once-in-a-lifetime opportunity things. And I didn't. I put my brother's prom suit on, which I'd had tailor-made to fit me, which I wore to my graduation. And I sat at home and I watched a YouTube link to an award ceremony with a roll of honour and a few people talking and, in all honesty, got bored and switched (laughs) out. Because it wasn't giving me what I needed it to to give me. It wasn't filling the sort of hole of the expectation. And now three years down the line, you know, I was hoping for some help and support with the charity and to be able to shout and sing about this award. And it didn't do any of those things, but it gave me a chance to realise that people I hadn't even spoken to personally about the Billy chip and about Billy actually thought it was a good idea. And although it felt like a red light at the time, looking back, it was a green light, not for the reasons that I was expecting it to be, but for me and to have that external validation I guess in a way which you don't want but you need and that little sort of ego boost and I think the ego is something to be looked after rather than relinquished and put in a box and yes people can run away with their egos but actually if we don't nurture them they become hungry and then we make ego-fed decisions as opposed to humanity I guess fed decisions so yeah why me I will never know but I'm a firm believer that hey you know, in 10 years time 20 years time or when I'm trying to do things like get a royal visit it it just it gives me that edge and that Diana Ward may not be the whole 100% box package with the red or you know white bow in the Tiffany's box that I was hoping it would be But it may lead to something a hell of a lot bigger. And I think people find it hard to look at those little things and go, yeah, do you know, what? I felt really disappointed at the time because it's not what I wanted it to be. And then X amount of time down the line, you go, "Ah, it was because of that. It was to lead to this.
0: You've mentioned billy chip a couple of times already. Yes. Um, for those who don't know, what's the idea behind it?
1: So the idea behind the billy chip is a token, which I've actually got a few in my pocket. I've got two. So you can hear what a billy chip is. It's a clay polyamide token that fits in the palm of your hand. Thank There's you. The and you can buy these in any of our participating outlets, which are normally tea. <laughs> they're quite fiddly, but they're, n- they're nice to fiddle with. Any of our participating tea or coffee shops, stores, outlets, cafes. And you can hand these to somebody who is street homeless and they can then go back into any of those outlets and redeem this for food and drink. So if you don't have cash, you're apprehensive about giving cash. You want to gift somebody something that you know is going to be used to provide them with sustenance. Because, hey, do you know what? We've all got addictions, whether it's sugar, caffeine... (laughs) cocaine, weed, nicotine. Everyone's addicted to something in one form or another and that will always come first and with this it gives that person the opportunity to get what they need maybe instead of what they want and it creates community by having the conversation and speaking to those people about what the billy chip is, about how you can use it, buy it, trade it and it it was my little brother's idea, and it's now his legacy. We lost him in 2018 to a motorbike accident out in Thailand. Again, at the time, felt like a massive red light. Not that it will ever become a green light, but do you know what? Green lights have come out of it, and it's given me a job and a career, which is still weird. Because I've made that job and career. And hey it's something I never trained for. Something I never understood. I didn't go to uni to to learn how to be me. Which is a really odd thing. To kind of end up doing. So that's what the Billy Chip is. Anybody who's listening. Please go and check it out. We do some really cool stuff. We've just launched Billy Chip Live. Uh, which is our new events arm of the company. And we're going to be putting up events across the UK over the coming years and hopefully forever um until I lose my hearing from standing too close to a speaker <laughs> but that's that's the plan and that's yeah what we do
0: would you say that you've managed to in some way turn grief into motivation
1: yes and no i think it's it's not the grief that motivates me hmm. it's the way the government is shit across the entire country (laughs) putting it bluntly um and screw people over left right and center and the fact that we have to take charge of our own futures and our own destinies in order to be able to live the lives that we want to and figure out a way to do that and help each other community is such a huge part of humanity and technology life 2023 we're all very separate we're all reaching and desperate for connection through social media and being sat behind a phone we don't walk to the park and go and catch up with our mates anymore so it's been my motivation because I've had a lot of energy and love I've always loved the phrase that grief is love with nowhere to go it's led me in a lot of directions and given me, like, edges when you go bowling and you just need that little bit of support. You know the ball's going down there, but, you know, you're tired of ending up in the gutter all the time. And grief is love with nowhere to go has given me given me those side lanes, those walls to bounce off of. Um, knowing that the gutter's the other side, but it's given me a bit of protection. And I think losing my little brother, who, 17 months younger than me, was was like my other half, has allowed me to pour that love, which has then turned to grief because I can't give it to my brother anymore, to put it into a project abundantly and unforgivingly to support other people who may be grieving the loss of their home, the loss of the life they expected to have, the loss of family or a job or anything else. And I think we grieve for ourselves more than we realise, but we never allow ourselves to love ourselves in place of that grief. We always feel we should be doing better or should be different or should be stronger or more opinionated or less opinionated. And... That love that I have now poured into the billy chip has multiplied and grown and every time somebody buys a billy chip and hands somebody a billy chip and every time somebody redeems that, it's that little speck of love growing and growing and growing to do something right by humanity.
0: You've been very open in many, many places kind of about your grief, particularly with you just speaking about it there. And in terms of promotion, it seems like, and of course you're the co-founder of Billy Chip, (laughs) it seems you're a very key face in describing the mission of Billy Chip, what it does, what you hope to do with it. With everywhere that you've spoken about it and all the stuff that led to it, what's it been like putting yourself out there in that way?
1: It's been weird. I have had a love-hate relationship ever since, with my life, with myself, ever since I lost Bills. And for me, he's always been the face of the Billy Chip. You look at a Billy Chip and his bloody face is on it, like (laughs) it's smack bang there, that's where it is. And I've walked around with T-shirts with my dead brother's face on it, which... Yeah, you look at any sort of normal person and go, oh, God, that's that's quite forward of you to do, do that. And people are like, yeah, but you're the living face of the billy chip. This wouldn't be a thing without you. And I've been in and out of therapy for years. Depression, anxiety, that whole imposter syndrome thing and... I've been published in books and I've stood on stages and talked to thousands of people. And this year I've got my first ever TED talk, which is terrifying. And it's, it comes back to that. Why me? Why me? And I believe very much in my spirituality that I made a pact with my brother that he was going to leave this life at, 20 years old and he was going to leave behind this idea and it is part of my soul's calling to put that to the universe and to educate people on it and I love it when I sit on the streets and people say I've had a really shit day and somebody handed me a billy chip and on the reverse side of a billy chip where the QR code is it says you're fabulous and don't you ever forget it and I need to remember that for myself a hell of a lot more than I do and that I give myself credit for. And so it's been a lot to open up and to put myself out there. And I've been in relationships where I've been told that that's a really bad thing to do and you shouldn't open yourself up and it's private and I think, oh, yeah, but if everybody did that, nobody would ever learn from anybody else. And if I can tell my story and speak to people and they can take something away from that and learn how I've navigated things, I hope that it will cushion blows for them to know A, somebody else has gone through it and you're not the only one and B, okay, this person, you know, Meg dealt with this this way, didn't end well. I'll take that on board and yes, I will deal with this my way, but in the back of my head, yeah. Do you know what? <laughs> That's not a good way. It didn't end well for somebody else and it might not end well for me. So it's it's been a lot and it's been weird, but I think it is so important and I feel so privileged to be in this growing position where I can inspire people, I guess, which is inspire people, educate people... Be a cushion for people. Be an ear to people to say, "Hey, let you know what? Yeah, it is really shit, but I promise you're not going through this alone." We
0: mentioned, or at least uh, in the introduction, I mentioned kind of the fashion modelling or just the modelling kind of side of things that you do yeah. aside from Billy Chip. From someone who is nowhere near that world in <laughs> any way, the, you know, the most I've come across it is you know maybe watching Little Miss Sunshine or something like that. Yeah, that, that's beauty pageants. Did that help or has that helped build up your confidence?
1: It's given me my own space and my own identity away from the billy chip. Hmm. You know, nine to five, Monday to Friday, my job is talking about the loss of my brother, homeless people, how to change the world. And doing the modelling and the acting gives me permission to be myself. It allows me to feel seen, which with the billy chip, Yes, I'm stood on a stage, but am I seen? And it gives me a way to be part of a creative process that I love. And I can choose how how much of that I want to be involved, sitting on sets and sitting in green rooms. And, you know, today do I want to put my headphones in and just read my book and be a nobody? Or today will I be the one to... Stand up and be counted and say, yeah, do you know what? I'll be the one to go and do that. You need someone to scream or pretend to throw up in the corner. Hey, yeah, do you know what? Today's the day. I'm up for the challenge. It's given me space. And for me, that's really important to have my own space. And it's something I'm really bad at asking for. But I've got an incredible partner who is very good at looking at me and going, you're going to want to finish that chapter of that book. I'm just going to leave you to it which is, is amazing. And I think it takes a lot to understand people and work out when they need space, when they don't. It's that sort of thing of, do you want solutions or do you just want a hug? And so the modelling stuff I've loved, I've done it for years. I can be talking to somebody and my friends, like, you will spot a camera at the corner of your eye and you will just slightly change how you're stood or you'll slightly change the direction you're facing like, you just don't switch off. And I said, no, but I love it. And that's, yes, it feeds me, but it doesn't feed my ego in a way that makes me feel big-headed or superior to anybody else. It, feel, it feeds my creativity and my soul to give me a way to express myself or be part of a project and work with people and go, yeah, OK, cool, let's cover my face in black paint and I'll go and swim in a lake or doing the silly commercial stuff and say that I've got spots and use this cream because it'll fix all your problems. It won't, but, (laughs) you know, it's, yeah, it gives me a chance to be me and to choose how much of myself I want to give away because with my nine to five and doing Billy Chip, I put myself and my story on the line every day and it's exhausting.
0: When it comes to acting, I've seen some people say that they like doing it because it gives them a chance to be someone else. It gives them an escape into someone else. When it comes to modelling and all that kind of stuff, even presenting uh, with your stuff like How to Fondant Ice a Cake, um, (laughs) when it comes to that kind of stuff, how much of that is you?
1: It will always be a part of me. Mm. There is always an element of me, whether I am pretending I know how to fondant ice a cake, which I had no idea, and I did that in one take. The front of it looks great. The back of it was awful. I'm very much one of those people that I will blag it and say I can do it. I have had job offers and said, yeah, I can do that. I can ride a horse can juggle, you know, breathe fire. (laughs) Give me the chance and I'll give it my best shot. And if it's not enough and there's somebody who can do it, then cool. There will always be a truth of mine within every part I play in this life, whether on screen or on film, sat here today in front of you, at home with my partner the one place I'm not great at being completely myself is when I'm on my own and that's where kind of journaling and stuff comes in but I think it's important to plant a seed of you within everything that you do so it's authentic so it's grounded so it's got an opportunity to blossom and grow because you never know who may see that who may take inspiration from it and I think that being a person who performs or speaks or is is public facing I don't want kids you know I'm not turning around and saying I'm Kira Knightley here and <laughs> anything like that but I think the authenticity and the truth that kids see and that are inspired by and they grow up and it's a part of their life you know. I have no idea if a kid that has seen me fond an ice a cake on YouTube for Lakeland may turn around and be the next Mary Berry. And I don't want any of it to be fake because you never know where that droplet could lead for somebody and it needs to be built out of love, understanding and truth.
0: Let's move on to your mental health shelf then. The things that you kind of look to for escape or when the world is getting a bit much. Where do you want to start? What's your first item?
1: So my first item is this tiny feather which flew into my door as I got back from the bank today and sat with my door open in the car park and this little feather floated through and I turned around and said to to my brother and to the universe, I'm guessing you want that to go on the shelf then and go on this podcast and feathers are a funny one because this one is now nice stuck to me and won't come off um feathers are a funny one I think to do with spirituality and the way that I I see things and my understanding I went to a church school was brought up in a christian household when it came to easter holidays and christmas (laughs) probably the best way to describe it um but apart from that i hated i hated the fact that religion caused wars and arguments and disassociation and misunderstandings and everything surrounding that and when i lost billy i wanted to look back to something that i felt was more sustainable my life and that was spirituality and mother earth and looking into what the earth provides us to heal you know it's amazing what stinging nettles and turmeric and carrots and you know all of these things that are on our doorstep we've forgotten how useful they are and why we eat certain things and how our guts work and you can look a lot online at feathers and seeing feathers and it meaning that a loved one is near and the same with robins and all of these signs. And I've flitted in and out for four years with, oh, that makes perfect sense. Or, oh, that's a load of bollocks because it's a bird. <laughs> it's not my dead brother reincarnated. It's a fucking bird. <laughs> um, <laughs> But I think there's something to take away from it in that if you feel it's a sign, that's all that matters. And it's about how you feel and your relation to it, not about what everybody else says it should mean or represent or how it should look in your eyes. And so for me, synchronicities is a huge thing. And you can look for them, and the more you look for them, the more you see them, and the more you see them, the hope is that the more comfort it will bring to you. And along with feathers and synchronicities going on my shelf, I guess, is moths. Moths have been a huge thing since Billy died. Um, Kind of winged insects, really. Uh, A butterfly... Billy died out in Thailand, and... We had him cremated out there and his ashes were thrown into the sea as is Buddhist tradition. We didn't go out. We stayed back here in the UK. He was out there with friends um, who had family out there too. And we didn't feel that going out was going to benefit anybody. It wasn't going to benefit us sitting on a 14-hour flight wondering what we were going to find the other end. It wasn't going to benefit the people that were right there that actually needed to support each other. We felt like we would bulldoze them if we, we arrived. And this butterfly landed on the monk's head during Billy's service, and that was, in Buddhist tradition, a huge, huge symbol of taking flight and having crossed over and, and moved across to the other side. And all sorts of weird shits happened with moths Uh, Billy's mate Jack, who is my comms director, managed to lock themselves (laughs) into the kitchen of his girlfriend's mum's house um, and pulled the door handle off. And so I went over with a screwdriver and gave it a bit of a whack and a poke and a prod. And we all laughed and joked and said, yeah, imagine if on the other side of this door there's a moth there. And there was. And when trying to sort out Glastonbury and not knowing if it was going to come off and talking about getting artists on stage and panicking about it, from nowhere, this damn bloody moth showed up and flew straight at us and landed on the wall by Billy. And I just turned around and went, it's all going to be fine. And I think just trusting... Trusting in that and the symbols and synchronicities of your life is a huge thing that brings me comfort and reassurance. And yes, I see it as a sign from my brother that either he's piss-arsing around and winding us all up still or that what we think and want to happen or what we're scared is going to happen is all just on the right path and happening for a reason.
0: Everyone seems to kind of have their own different definition and interpretation and way of looking at it to the point where I've got absolutely no idea what it means anymore even if I did to start with would you say that you're a spiritual person
1: when I want to be
0: Hmm.
1: yeah when I want to be and I'm quiet and I'm sat in the woods or out in nature and I can feel the earth between my hands yes When I'm anxious and depressed and caught up in life and I can't see past tomorrow, no. And it should be the other way around. I should look to my spirituality in those times to get me through it and I don't, I blank it out because it scares me. Because the unknown scares me. The Am I on the right path? Am I doing the right thing? Are the right people hearing the message I'm trying to get across? Am I scared of what this outcome may be if I look too deep into this will I fall down a hole I can only compare it to kind of TikTok which I don't use because I fell down a TikTok hole for an hour and a half once and went I can't keep doing this it's really bad and I think you can do that with everything in life sit in bed and zoom out and go I'm in this bed I'm in this house I'm in Bristol I'm in the UK I'm in the earth oh my gosh there's planets What, what does it all mean it's very easy to do that But I find that at the end of the day, it grinds me. It goes back to planting those seeds and about feeling the earth and going, do you know what, this is all gonna end for this body at some point. Just need to be grateful for what I've got. Put my big girl pants on. And when the time is right, the right thing will appear.
0: When you have to see those signs, when a moth appears or you have a feather fall into your car then, particularly because I know you cited Glastonbury then and the worry yeah. of would people turn up, Where is it going to go well? What's it like when you have one of those signs suddenly appear? Is it a moment of just almost instant calm?
1: I described it as my therapist two weeks ago is the kind of beautiful joy within a heartbreaking moment of... Realization that I am so much more than the universe and the universe is so much more than me. I stood in the temple on the Sunday at Glastonbury before we opened the gates up to 6,000 people, whatever the capacity of that is. And I cried my eyes out because I was, I'd never been to the temple. I had been to Glastonbury twice before, but it wasn't somewhere I'd ever gotten into. It was my brother's favourite place and all the people I'd gone to Glassbury with had been to the temple with my brother. And the first time I got to go was without my brother but for my brother's legacy. And it broke my heart that he wasn't there. But I was so proud of what we had achieved in getting there. And so it's the bittersweet double-edged sword of life and of what life brings and of the joy and devastation and the cyclical nature of living and it's this overwhelming feeling for me and this reassurance it's like a big hug from the universe saying yeah you know it's really it is really shit and it is really sad but don't forget that it's only your little human heart that feels that and that your energy and spirit and the rest of the world, this is this is just this life and there are so many more lives to come and so many beautiful things that haven't even happened to you yet. So it's excitement as well, but devastation for what I felt should have been mine and should belong to me and that's a life with my brother by my side to experience these things. And I'm experiencing them on my own. But I'm not, instead of experiencing it with just him, I experience it with all of his friends and the little bits of him that is carried within each of them, which is is so much more than my brother because it's split into all of these other living beings.
0: Does that help, that kind of big shared experience? Do you seek those out?
1: I like to scare myself. I like to put myself in positions to be vulnerable because I find that's where growth happens. It happens in the uncomfortable moments. Um, So, yeah, I do look for them because I get a massive kick out of them. But, hey, they don't always go to plan, and there are so many days and so many things people don't see. You know, we always share our wins across social media. It's never the days where I'm sat in the office screaming at the walls because I was so close to closing that huge deal and it just didn't come off. Or, damn it, why didn't I reply to that email? Why am I so scared to pick up the phone and speak to these people at these big companies? So as much as I seek them out, I am also happy to accept that they will come to me when they will benefit me most and I will grow from those seeds a more varied crop that will feed thousands as opposed to sat watching one grow to feed just me. Shall we
0: move on to item number two?
1: Absolutely. Um, Item number two is my jewellery, which I've got on, including my necklaces, which I have a plethora of them on. I've got three around my neck and I've got rings on. What, how many fingers have I got? Ten. <laughs> 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 Five
0: of my that's fingers. the first time that's been
1: asked on this podcast. <laughs> how many fingers have I got? Each, of, each piece of my jewellery tells a story and it reminds me of who I am or times in my life where I have felt like I needed to commemorate things. Um, I've got two stars on my left hand, my 21st birthday. A trip with some girlfriends after we'd left school. We went away a couple of years ago and we'd not all spent quality time together since we'd left school. Uh, Glastonbury, which I bought this beautiful spinning star ring, which is great for my anxiety and needing to fiddle with things. My 16th birthday, a heart from my parents, a gold ring with a black stone in it. That was my mum's a tiny silver band on my little finger which used to have a star on it which got embedded in my finger that I bought in my first week of uni. And then around my neck I have my brother's fingerprint in a heart and a blue stone that my granddad bought me and I lost my granddad last year. And those two are really special because it doesn't scream my brother's name or my granddad's name, like walking around with Billy Chip on my T-shirt. And it reminds me of his individuality and that he was here and he was living because some days it feels like a dream and like I've made it up. And the stone from my granddad, who was just the most incredible bougie man ever, that grew up from absolutely nothing and came from a really poor household in Glasgow. He lost his sister... He started a chain of hair salons in Bristol called Shaggers, which is just the best name and my granddad all over. Slightly cheeky, a little bit on the nose, but you could definitely get away with it. And chatting to my nan the other day, she said, "Yeah, he we'd bought the manor house in Farnborough back, god years ago in the eighties, for thirty five grand." My granddad came home two months later. The 39 grand Rolls Royce. My nan was like, what are you doing? You've just bought a car that's more expensive than the bloody house. And he was that guy, and it's to remind me that you can't take shit with you when you're gone. So go and enjoy it and spend it and do the outrageous things and be the outrageous person. But make sure you've always got that safety net. And you can you can live within your means, but do you know what? If the day comes where it's like, hey, I can't afford that, but it's going to give me a great story and I'm going to love it, then go for it. You can always make more money. And that's something that's always stuck with me until I spent last summer travelling and I'm still paying off my credit card. But, hey, I would spend all of that again twice over to have the experience that I had. Um. My other chain is my partner's that says, Lost Without You, that we weren't even together when I bought him this as a going-away gift when I went travelling. And he wore it every day that we were apart and I didn't even know if I wanted to be with him and he flew out and met me in the States and came travelling with me for a month. And it's one of those that it's sort of like Am I lost without you? No, I'm not really. But it was a cheesy thing on a necklace and I felt like I needed to give you something. (laughs) But to me, it reminds me that, first off, actually, you're lost without yourself. And to have him in my life is a privilege. And it's not a necessity. It's something that I want and something that I'm working hard to keep. It's not about needing to have somebody to make me whole and make me complete. It's about wanting to have somebody by my side to share life with. And then the blue one I've got above, which has got stones in it and beads in it, um, I made myself. I'd made and helped my mum make my dad a necklace. She saw Gino De Campo's necklace (laughs) on when he used to do Gina, you know Fred and Gordon? She was like, oh, I want to get your dad one of those, but I don't know how to find one. So we went down to Glastonbury and bought some beads and I said I'd thread it and make it myself. And we actually had enough beads that the three of us all made necklaces, but they were strung with a lot of thought in them. The stone is also called the Hope Stone, which is part of my name, part of my, and that's on my dad's side. And in between is seven little beads And seven is a very important number for me. And I'd like to put seven on the shelf too. Because there's just something about seven. When we lost Billy, we got his phone back, we got his clothes back that his friends had brought back over, and his tablet, and all of his stuff was saved on there, and we couldn't access it. It was fingerprint-generated, and his friends had tried to unlock his phone when he died, but... Turns out you can't unlock a phone with a dead body no matter what they tell you on the internet or show you on the TV series. It doesn't work. And I spoke to a friend of mine and this is where it comes back to the feather and the spirituality. I spoke to a friend of mine who is very spiritual and has inclinations and ideas and what I call the ether flows to and through her um, and I asked if she could get in contact with my brother and ask him what his damn phone password was because I was about to lose an entire side of my brother and she said A he's fine he didn't know what was going on but he made peace with it very quickly and if anything he's just annoyed that it had happened and that he's no longer with you but I can't get i can't get a number out of him there's no phone code or password um he said all i'm getting is number seven and i said it's like a six digit thing i've tried seven 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 i've tried one two set like nothing's bloody working and gave it a little bit of time and then remembered his tablet i i'd cleared his phone off um I, it's it's gone, there's no, no point. And then his tablet came up with a pattern on it and I was like, oh, no idea what that is. And this number seven popped into my head and I drew the number seven and unlocked my brother's tablet and got back five years of images he would have hated me to have seen. <laughs> Apologies to all the girls that ever, ever sent him stuff because I've seen all of it which I had to clear off before my parents wanted to get through (laughs) it. That was a little bit sketchy. Um, But, yeah, the number seven has just always come back to me. Uh, One of our dogs got pregnant. It was on purpose. We wanted puppies. And the vet came and scanned and said, yeah, you're going to have five. And I turned around and went, no, we're not. So, what do you mean? I said, we'll have seven. She went, well, there's there's five on the scanner. I said, I know. (laughs) But we're going to have seven and seven beautiful, healthy puppies we had. And so, yeah, seven, when I see a seven somewhere, it just, it again is that little reminder of it's the right path, it's the right thing. So I wear wear it round my neck too to remind me.
0: On the point of the jewellery, um, of course, you're wearing it all now pretty much. You've just gone through them one by one. Do you have anything else, I guess, around the house or anything like mementos with stories behind them, or is it important that you kind of have them physically on you, with you?
1: No, I've got bits of shit everywhere. <laughs> if I'm being I've got... I've got shit everywhere from. Ticket stubs to events to boxes to having come back from the States and brought bags of sand back in freaking crisp packets because I had nothing else to put it in. What am I going to do with this sand? I have no idea, but I've got it. Um, the goddess symbol, the symbol of fertility. I've got rocks. I've got so many rocks. I've got rocks. I've got crystals. I've got polished rocks. I've got stones I've picked up from the beach. I've got sea glass. Everything has a story and everything reminds me of a time in my life where I felt like I needed to remember it, whether it was how I was feeling or who I was with or what happened that day. And yes, my jewellery, I I carry with me and it doesn't come off unless it has to. Because every time I look at it, it's, it's an extension of me. And I think everything that I do, it's important, is an extension of me going back to planting those seeds whilst doing the acting. It's an extension of who I am. And things break and things get lost and things get damaged, but I see that as it served its purpose. I no longer need it. It can go... I've had two hematite rings and I've smashed both of them. And it's like, okay, they no longer serve me the purpose that I had originally gotten them for therefore that's where they go and i find that objects carry energy i'm a very firm believer in that everything is made of energy and objects carry energy and for me to have those little energetic reminders when i need them most uh are really important
0: so was the number seven item number three then
1: i think it was okay i think it was it's like a it's like a weird little voice in the back (laughs) of my head even that happened with the dogs. Because I just knew it was this innate feeling. It was this voice in the back of my head. It was the Jiminy Cricket sat on my shoulder. It was the knowing of my higher self turning around and going, you know this is right. And then when those little things come to fruition and happen, it's that, yeah, do you know what? I should have listened to you years ago when that voice was saying, don't pull out at that junction two minutes later you smashed your car up, or red flag, boy, red flag, and you're going, ah, it would be fine, it's a tiny flag. It's like, no, this is waving a banner in your face. And so those gut feelings are really important to listen to, to navigate, to document, because you will learn so much about yourself that you try to ignore, or that I try to ignore, from just taking a moment, taking note. And what looked like a red light, again, in hindsight, probably green.
0: Have you learned to listen to that voice more? Has it become easier over the years?
1: God, no, I still (laughs) ignore her on a daily (laughs) basis. No. But when it smacks me in the face and it becomes unbearable, it makes me kick myself. I listen to her. I take notice of her more. Whether I listen to her or not, I, I know she's there. I'm more aware. I'm more aware that if I ignore her, she will scream louder. I'm more aware of if I ignore her, she will set fire to something until I notice and see what's going on. So, yeah, the arrogant human in me that feels like it knows best about how this life should be navigated ignores her, and the deep knowing within me nods to her and says, watch this idiot and watch what she's about to do, it'll make a good story later on in life or when she's on a podcast.
0: A number of the items kind of so far have these, almost personal collections through being signs or mementos of the past. Does that continue with item number four?
1: No, not at all. I love hot water bottles. Okay. (laughs) I love a hot water bottle. And I didn't know if that was going to be my item number four or not. I was very unsure, but I love a hot water bottle and a weighted blanket and being in bed and that comfort of, do you know what, when you don't have the answer, switch off. And that I have had to listen to because I have caused myself burnout and I've put myself in hospital and I've made myself ill or I've put myself back on antibiotics, which is what I'm on the tail end of now is burnout and overdoing it because I didn't listen to the voice in my head. And the one thing that will always make me feel better is a hot water bottle. It's a warmth, it's a comfort. I had a hot water bottle last night, and it's what? It is July in the UK. It was supposed to be the hottest day on the entire recorded planet of the history of the history of the planet. And I had a hot water bottle. Because it makes me feel better. And it's a comfort. And I think people need to not forget those little things. Good comfort food. Your nan's cooking Sitting outside on a hot day with your feet in a bucket of water, having a pint down by the pub with your mates, we need to not forget to look after ourselves. And a hot water bottle is a really good way to do that.
0: This is something that's come up a couple of times, the small little comforts that just help us along every now and then. And you've cited a number of others just then that, as you say, we (laughs) need to not forget. You say that it's kind of been something that you've begun to acknowledge a Mm. bit more. Is it a frequent thing that you've begun to use?
1: Especially through the winter, and I think a lot of people have because the cost of living crisis is Mm. so massive and putting on extra layers and, you know, a heavy blanket and being a woman and having a period, identifying as a she, having a period, it's one of those things that stops me wanting to murder people. And, yeah, I've, I've certainly noticed more... That I feel more comfortable with a hot water bottle wedged in a piece of. Like, I go into work with one. I will wear a baggy jumper, a pair of jeans, or a pair of joggers, and I will wedge myself a hot water bottle in there somewhere. I don't know if for me it's a. I mean, it is, it's a comfort thing. But also I'm kind of at that age where mates are like getting married and having babies and there's just something really nice about having a warm tummy. (laughs) And that's the only way that I can describe it. Like, I'd rather sleep with the windows on and be warm in bed and have a cold face. But, yeah, I think it's not forgetting those little things, the self-care, the bathtub, the do your nails or get your eyelashes done or... Go and take the dog for a walk. The simple little things. Not everything has to have, like I've talked about with the other other things on my shelf, this, this huge extraterrestrial, ethereal, you know, life's going to solve itself problems. Hey, at the end of the day, we're all human. And if you want a hot water bottle or you want to eat a pizza because it makes you feel better or you've got, you know, comfort food or a great T-shirt that you love to wear, Go and bloody wear it. Sod everybody else that doesn't think it's appropriate. It's not up to them.
0: Is it easy to remember these kind of small things? And particularly, I guess, and this is another question really, have they almost gathered up in a way to make something bigger, this just big bubble of comfort?
1: Yeah, I think they have in a way, and I think it's so easy to not take time for yourself to do them. Like, I look at it and go, oh, do you know what? I'd love to have a bath, but it's convenient to get in the shower. Or... Oh, I'd love to go over to my nan's and, you know, have dinner with her. But I'm really busy and it's more convenient to get a takeaway and not put the time into cooking that food or like yesterday, supposed to go out mountain biking, looked out the window, went, Oh, it's raining, okay, we'll give it ten minutes, gave it fifteen minutes, friends came over, oh it's still raining. We could have gone out on those bikes, it wasn't a problem. Did we? No. Did we get Chinese takeaway? Yes. Why? Because it's convenient. Because the lives that we live in, everything is made for convenience. Nobody pushes themselves or very few people find it easy to push themselves outside of their comfort zone. And a hot water bottle is convenient. And no, it doesn't push you outside of your comfort zone. And I think it's about knowing when to step outside in the rain on a mountain bike, and to sit at home and have a Chinese. And yesterday, I needed to sit at home and have a Chinese.
0: <laughs> Is it a kind of sign of just taking time to yourself as well?
1: Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's, it's so hard to do. I used to journal loads and find that I only ever journal when life's bad. Don't journal when life's happy because you're too busy being in the moment, which is great, but then you look back and reflect on those journals and your life looks like <laughs> it was a miserable shit show. And I think it is about taking that time to to do the self-care thing, and it's so hard and it's easier said than done, and I will go home tonight after going therapy and i will go i should probably do something to look after myself because i've spent the afternoon opening myself up to you and then going to therapy and opening myself up and i won't i'll get back i'll answer a few emails i'll cook dinner i'll jump in the shower might read my book for 10 minutes and then go to bed whereas really i should go for a walk or go and sit on the grass or journal or have a bath And let those things land. And I think we're all so eager to move on to the next thing. We don't let our subconsciouses rest and have the time to let those things land, to let them really embed themselves in order to understand them. Because actually, who wants to understand them? Who wants to sit? and go, oh, yeah, I had therapy today and I was really miserable and actually it's because of this and it's because of that and it's because of me and the choices I've made and the reactions that I've had and the relationships that I've co-created. Nobody wants to look inside themselves in fear of blame, which you can spiral into, and self-hatred, or, you know, this person did this to me. Oh, well, they need to pay for that and I should tell them about it and tell them how they made me feel. We're all so quick to jump the gun, to have a quick fix, plaster over the cracks, rather than take the time to rebuild the wall.
0: Very quickly, just before we move on to your final item, do do you ever find that you kick yourself for taking time to yourself?
1: All the time, I'm awful for it. I'm awful for it. I feel so guilty for sitting on my ass and reading a book. So I've got Audible. So I listen to my books whilst I'm driving so I can be more productive, so I can achieve more, so I can get to where I need to go but still listen to a book and not feel guilty about it. And it's shit. It's shit that all we want to do is jump from one destination to the next and cram all of these things in that we should be appreciating and taking the time to. And we don't take the time to appreciate ourselves either. And then we feel guilty for it, and I think it's a it's a product of being brought up in this world, in society, in today's day and age, that everything is convenient and yeah yeah, and I think you can jump to the other side of it where it's like you see stuff all over social media of you should chill out you should you deserve to be on a beach, and you deserve to have this holiday, and you deserve this, and you deserve that and go and have that bath and go and do this and go and do that. And then people lose their drive, and I think we all feel, and hey, I am guilty of it too, we all feel like the world owes us something. It owes us more time, it owes us more money, it owes us more people to love us or people that we can love. The world owes you shit, and if you want it, You've got to work for it, and you've got to put in the effort, but you have to put in the effort to yourself to recuperate and take that time out so you are the best version of yourself that you can be in order to further yourself and further things for other people, and it's such a fine balance, and it's so hard to do, and I'm really guilty of it. I'm crap at it, but I'm trying to be better. (laughs)
0: And finally, to round off your shelf, the final item.
1: The final item on my shelf is my tattoo. It's personal. It's hidden. It means a lot, and it was my rebellious moment. (laughs) And we all need one. We all need a rebellious moment. We all need to do something we're not supposed to do. Um, My tattoo is on the inside of my lip which means I can still get away with doing my modelling and acting and nobody knows. And if I want to tell people about it, I can. And if I don't want to tell people about it, I don't have to. And it's personal and it's for me. And it was my stamp upon myself to remind me that I can be and do... I can be whoever I want to be and I can do whatever I want to do. But I have to hold myself accountable for it. And I have to hold myself accountable for it for the rest of my life because I'm the only one that has to deal with it. And so I have now permanently got a tattoo on the inside of my lip. And I know that, you know, people can deep this and people cannot and people have tattoos because they love them. But for me, this was about me making a choice that I would be responsible for for the rest of my life that was only on me, that didn't affect anybody else. It wasn't like having a baby or having a dog and having to be responsible for them it was about me being responsible for me my parents always told me they'd get absolutely apeshit if I ever got a tattoo Billy died in 2018 all three of us now have tattoos <laughs> um, and it's Poseidon's trident double-ended two triangles and the yin and yang dots And all three of those things are really important to me. And I was drawing this before I lost Billy. Billy was a Pisces and a water baby. Both of us loved water. That's where the trident comes from. The yin and yang, because we were two different entities within the same thing. And I love the yin and yang sign because there's a tiny bit of good in the bad and a tiny bit of bad in the good. And I think that's something to live by, is if you always look for the bad in the good, it will always be there. But if you always look for the good in the bad, it will also always be there too. And my mum, my dad and I are the ones that are left and actually triangles are a stronger shape than a square. And to remind me that, hey, no matter how shitty it feels, you've, you've got this. And for me, it was important to put that upon my body somewhere that I use every day but it's a secret to me and that I can choose whether I share that story with people or not. And I get that some people get tattoos because they love them and I did it because my parents told me that I couldn't. And my brother died and I went, I'm going to go and do whatever I want to do and I will be held accountable for that for the rest of my life and I love it. I love my tattoo. It's, It's a really important part of me But Not more than that, but I love seeing the shock on people's faces when I show them as well. It's great. They gasp, they turn around, they're like, oh my God, I never knew that you were the kid. Like, did it hurt? And it's like, no. But yeah, it was that cheeky little nod to the rebellious side of me of, you can go and be naughty, just don't get caught doing it. And I think it brings the joy back in people's life to be a little bit naughty, to push the boundaries, to... Be a little bit cheeky if you're not going to hurt anybody, but you're just doing something that you slightly feel like you shouldn't be and you get away with it. There's no better feeling than getting away with something that you know you shouldn't have gone away with.
0: Before I get on to the serious question, there are serious questions. Of course, you've already answered one thing that I had. Uh, secondly, because um, I was going to ask, did it hurt? And you said no, it didn't. <laughs> what was the dentist's
1: response? Oh, she just <laughs> looked at me and she went, oh, that's new that wasn't here last time said no she went with a blood disorder which means you can bleed really easily are you supposed to be getting tattoos and it was like no after i got told that i was in remission for my blood disorder the first thing i went did for my birthday was go paintballing fucking stupid (laughs) idea really stupid could have killed me but i'm not gonna stop anything that's happened to me in this life or the next from living my life to my fullest and doing what i want to do
0: on the point of what the tattoo actually symbolizes and what it's of listening to the way you described it and i could be completely wrong here and have completely misunderstood it (laughs) it it, it sounds almost like it calls back to that kind of bittersweet double-edged sword kind of thing you were talking about earlier is that the case do you think it links back to that
1: Absolutely, and I think part of my life will always link back to that, and it's hard to not be defined by that. And I think that's why I love the fact that my tattoo's on the inside of my lip, because it doesn't define me, because nobody knows where it is. And everybody has those bittersweet moments, and I text somebody who lost their brother a couple of weeks ago with a very similar thing about that sword. And I'll read it out to you, because it was weirdly profound, I think, considering I was just trying to be nice and helpful. And it was like, well, actually, do you know what, Meg? That's that's a lot. I put, today is a double-edged sword. I want you to know I've stood there and held it myself. It has a weight to it that could crush the world, but it will also protect you by helping you to remember there is joy to be had in each day, to live to rejoice and to honour those who cannot share milestones with us. And that was on a friend's birthday who'd lost lost their brother. And I think it's that thing of those double-edged swords. We can either stand there and swing it about us and wave it until everybody is stood at such a length we can't quite meet them. Or we can hang it above the fireplace, take it down, hold it and remember that that sword is there to remind us of the strength we could wield and how fortunate we are to be in those positions to hold that sword and to have that sword forged from the grief that we we have had put upon us. And so it all comes back, I think, to perspective. And it's so hard to to see things... Especially when you're in the midst of depression and anxiety, and you have this cloud above your head. And it's an image I saw of myself the other day of just being stood with this big, big old scribble above my head, like you did in school when you couldn't get a biro to work and you're, you know, going through pages and pages of paper. But if you unravel that line, and were to lay that line then across you instead of this scribble, it only distorts your view by a tiny, tiny little bit. And so sometimes I think we're all here to help each other reach a different perspective.
0: One final time, shall we go through uh, your items once more?
1: We've got my feather, which was about seeing signs and... Sod what anybody else thinks, it's about how you see it. And now I've fiddled with it, it actually looks like a butterfly. Slash a moth. So one of them was my lovely feather. The next one was my jewellery. And the parts of me that that plays and how they come and go and the stories it tells, along with, as I put it, quite frankly, all the other shit that I've got (laughs) lying about. The next was the number seven and how in a real time of massive darkness it had reminded me to ask for help from other people and how important it is to ask others for help. When you can't see the next step, sometimes you just have to ask the question. The fourth was my fabulous hot water bottle, which I will just take everywhere with me for forevermore, no matter how many hot water bottles I go through. And the fifth was my tattoo, which for me was stamping myself with my name, my identity, and about being held accountable for the choices I make.
0: Meg, thank you so, so much for joining me. It's been wonderful to talk to you.
1: It's been amazing. It's been like a therapy session. (laughs) Thank you for having me. I've loved every moment of it. And the people that listen to this, I hope that part of my story... Or my stupid sayings or analogies can help you in some way or another. And if you get the chance, check out The Billy Chip. Check out what we do and help us make the world a better place by being kind.
0: And there we have it, the mental health shelf, the quite in the moment mental health shelf of Meg Abernethy Hope. And I think that in the moment feeling, you could obviously hear it in the items which were chosen, but also just some of the reasoning, the topics of conversation which were brought up. And I think that just allowed for a number of tangents to occur and just delve into different points and directions and topics of conversations throughout the podcast. Um I've really enjoyed this. I know I said I was looking forward to it, but I really enjoyed talking to Meg for an hour or so. And I think particularly with how open she was and that in the moment feel, when you pair those up, I mean and I've probably said it here before, I do admire people who are just able to be so, so open like that in the moment. Um And she was kind enough to be open with a lot of personal stuff there as well. Um, something which I'm very, very thankful for alongside her giving up her time to talk to me. Um, but also I admire the humor that she brought as well. And you know, I admire people who can bring, uh, find humor in that kind of thing anyway, but obviously not kind of dead on center of the target, but around the edges of it, be able to find a laugh, some form of humor around the edges, just to, you know, slightly lighten things up, but also that may just be them really. Um, and that seemed to be the case during the conversation just occasional bits of slight humor every now and then I, mean, I very much appreciated that and as i say i just very much enjoyed talking to meg in general for this podcast uh, very thankful for her time if you want to find more from her i'll link some of her socials in the podcast description wherever that may be wherever you're listening alongside some links to billy chip uh, their social media pages and also Uh, A website link where you'll be able to find outlets uh, wherever you may be. I know they're primarily in Bath and Bristol... But uh, there are various places around the UK. If you just search for where you are, you'll be able to find your nearest vendor. Maybe you own a coffee shop or you work for one or some form of vendor who's interested in becoming a Billy Chip outlet. There's also the opportunity to do that via their website. As I say, I will link that in the description for now, though. That's it for another edition of the Mental Health Shelf podcast. Thank you very, very much for listening. I hope you've enjoyed it. I'll be back next month, hopefully doing an outro that doesn't require me shoveling down the vocal zones, but definitely with another guest, another set of items, and another mental health shelf altogether. Thank you for listening. Goodbye for now.